In our current Western world, we live in an ever-growing secular age where religious belief is only one option among many, and the worldview that dominates the landscape is one that says there's nothing beyond what you see. There's nothing beyond ourselves and beyond this life. That death will happen, and in a naturalistic worldview, death makes sense in the circle of life kind of way, but that's it. But then each year, around Halloween, we hear and tell strange stories of mummies and zombies, of spirits of dead people haunting houses, Dr. Frankenstein sewing together a person of different pieces of people and then electrocuting them to life. Some stories are fantastical fiction, and others are rooted in cultural stories to try to make sense of what people observe, to try to make sense of death, or maybe even to explain it. There's something to this. Because we can say we believe there's nothing beyond what we can see or beyond what we can touch or experience. But we know deep down there's something that haunts us, that there's something more than that. That we even tell these stories to try to feel some sense of transcendence, that there isn't just us, and it isn't just what we can see, and there's actually something beyond, or as Ecclesiastes would say, beyond the sun. So these zombies, superheroes, mummies, feed this sense of transcendence, but they're not rooted in truth. They're not reality. And we may be satiated from these stories on that sense of transcendence, but being satiated by those stories tends to numb us from the real battle we're in. Paul stated last week that our battle isn't against blood and flesh. He said that first so we didn't get confused speaking of humans, but against cosmic powers, against rulers, authorities, speaking of the devil and his various ranks of minions with different ranks of power and different strength and all of them. And he told us, that's our battle. That's our enemy. That's who we're warring against. So be strengthened in the Lord and put on the full armor of God. That's where we were at last week, okay? So now we're picking it up. From there, verse 13. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Verse 14. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. So stand. I told you last week that in the Old Testament, when you hear stand, it's not just that you're standing and resisting. It means if you can't stand in the face of your enemy, you're getting wiped out by your enemy. So he's saying, endure, finish, fight against, don't be overthrown, win this battle. Stand. Four times he said it in this three verses. So th this is... You got to think, you got to think less information drop and more rallying cry or more uh, uh, locker room halftime 
or more really a wartime prep message, Mel Gibson style, what's that, blue white face, thank you, standing, charging in front of all the men before the war, saying, hey, hey, let's go, stand, stand, stand. Why? Because you get in the water, into the war, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of other things that confuse you. There's a lot of distractions when there's a lot of noise happening. What do you need to hear? You need to hear the same rally cry. What do I need to be doing in this? What do I need to be doing this? What do I need to be doing? Stand. Stand firm. Resist. Stand against the schemes of the enemy in the evil day. Now, that, that's a phrase that's used in the New Testament multiple times. Typically, it's referring to the time that we're in, the time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. But in the evil day, he's also implying that there's times in this uh, life where the enemy attacks more ferociously or, or surprising or something that it hits you that it's just going, 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 going. When, when maybe there's a swirling of things inside of you and that uh, uh, connects with the swirling transition of confusing morality in the culture and that converges, that, that may be a very particular evil day, right? But he's also getting us warmed up to say, hey, even when you don't sense that the fight is raging, even when you don't feel like you're getting harassed, attacked, beaten, you sense maybe a, a kind of peacetime break. The war is still going, so always be prepared. You say, oh, it's peacetime. Okay, then just on Tuesday, you know, start believing lies. Start putting your hope in your own confidence or in building false sources of righteousness. No, he's saying every day you put this on. We saw this all the way back to Ephesians 4, that this putting on, this putting off of the old life and all of its behaviors and actions and, and, and idolatry and thinking, and we put on the new life that Jesus has given us and we walk in it, and that's a daily putting off and putting on. This isn't a one-time event. So let's look at each piece of armor. We're only going to look at two, and we'll look at more as we go from here. With this stand, I'll say one more thing before we look at the belt of truth. With Paul using the fourth time here, what I love is that God not only makes it possible for believers to stand, but he expects them to do so by depending upon his divine strength and resources. Remember last week, it's not be strong and go fight the enemy. It's be strengthened in the Lord. Like that's what he's expecting and calling us to, is to this raging fight, spiritual forces, and all that life has been difficult that he said of this point. Fight your sin, kill your sin, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Do these really beautiful, wonderful things that are even beyond your capacity or strength. Do them by the power of the Spirit you can. You can do them. Now, the belt of truth. This, this isn't a belt, uh, a leather piece of strap that we have to hold up our pants. Uh, it was a leather apron that helped protect the lower part of the body, and it, it served that, that facet. It also had two other things. What? You put your sheath in it, so you put your sword in it. 
And then also, when it's, when it's time for battle, you can tuck your tunic into it. Right, Kyle? On Tuesday, whenever you need to go to war, tuck your tunic into the belt. But that's what you would do. But remember, Paul is in prison with a Roman soldier. But he's not overly impressed by the Roman war machine. He's adequately impressed by the divine warrior in Isaiah 59. His language is telling us what he's been mulling on and meditating on while he's in chains is that his God is his warrior. In the Old Testament, God is described as girded with might. So if you heard girded with loins, that's what's happening with the belt of truth. That's the imagery happening here. That's what God is girded with might in Psalm 65. He's also, uh, he girds the psalmist with strength for battle in Psalm 18. But like we sang (laughs) in the lowborn king, he then has this imagery from Isaiah 11. If you know Isaiah 11, this is all about the messianic king. This is all about the liberating king who is going to come and defeat his people's enemies and secure them and hold them and love them forever. And what does it say? He shall be girded with righteousness around the waist and bound with truth around the sides. So again, I'll say this probably five more times for these few weeks. This is not conjure up your own armor. This is put on God's armor. This is put on what he has and what he's gifted to you. The belt of truth. Now, what does he mean by truth? Quickly, a few things. Jesus is the truth, right? So we pray, I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I clothe myself with his character. I'm filled with his power. I'm committed to pursuing his purity because Jesus is the truth. That's what I want to put on. But also the Bible is the truth. Successful, hear this, successful spiritual warfare begins with the question, do I accept the Bible as God's word? That's where it begins. Do I accept the Bible as God's word, inspired and infallible and errant, the sole authority for belief and prayer? Is that what I believe? Otherwise, what is your truth? What are you wielding? What are you believing to? What are you holding to? What are you going to anchor to? What is going to be your rock? The words of the Father or the words from some politician or talking puppet on a, on a news show? What, what is going to be the rock for you? The truth. But also the church is the pillar of truth, Paul says in 1 Timothy. That the church provides protection reinforcement of biblical virtues, encouragement, stability, guidance. But then he's also talking about the objective truth, the essential Christian doctrines, the things that we're close fisted on, that this is what we believe. Because Satan, the the enemy will flourish where there's theological ignorance. He'll pick off us one by one because we're not cinched up by. We're not held together by. 
our foundation belt that everything starts to work off of isn't there. So you're like my kid at the baseball <laughs> games where you're trying to hold all the pieces of armor and walk around. If that, it, he doesn't play baseball like that, but that's how he goes from the van to the dugout and back. You know what I'm saying? Hey, put it in the bag, put it up, carry it. Now you can do stuff, right? Same thing. You got to start with this family. You got to have truth. There are two areas in particular that you will be lied to by the enemy for the rest of your life, and that's lies about God and lies about yourself. Classic scheme. So if you don't want to be ignorant about the schemes of the enemy, classic scheme is lie about God and a lie about you. So lie about God's character, lie about his attributes, and lie about you, lie about who you are, lie about your identity, lie about your position in Christ, lie about your authority in Christ. But then truth also here, I need you to hear this, because people have argued this, wrestled with this, truth here also means the subjective experience of speaking the truth ourselves. So not only do we stand in and hold on to the truth of God and Jesus being the truth, we also live out the truth. We speak the truth. So if the enemy wants to still kill and destroy, and if we've been tracking through Ephesians, at least through chapter 4, he wants to divide, puff up, deceive, wreck your marriage that displays the gospel, turn your sons and daughters against you, steal your joy, kill your love, destroy our family. And what is the classic scheme to do that? It's to lie to us. It's to lie. It's to lie about who your God is to you and to lie <laughs> to you about who you are to God. So, how can we fight this? I'm going to put this before you. I put this before you a few times. I'm just going to put it before you again as how can you fight lies? How can you uh, uh, be able to acknowledge, discern 1 John 4? How can I discern the spirits? How can I discern who's lying to me, who's telling the truth to me? And I, I just say grab, grab a, a piece of paper and get four columns, okay? And what are the lies you're hearing from the many? Uh, some helpful things if you're hearing you are this you're gross you're dirty you're defiled you're worthless no one loves you typically we don't speak like that to ourselves often though the enemy is speaking accusing condemning again the literal title of the devil in new testament is slanderer accuser that's what he's going to do to you and then think about the fruit of that if I believe that lie, what's the fruit? What's the consequences? What happens if I believe that? And just look at, honestly, what's the fruit of that? And, and if you haven't experienced it yet, think, okay, what might be the fruit? It's, it's easy enough to think about. And then I want you to fight with the truth girded around your waist, standing strong with the truth from scripture not not just like a, a thing that sounds kind of christiany i want you to be able to root it in this is what god has said to me and this is what he says about me and i'm gonna hold to that and not believe the lie and so go to god's word listen to his voice what is he actually countering that lie with hold on to it and then 
what might be the fruit of you believing the truth? And you might just get to imagine all the beauty and joy and flourishing that comes from that. I'll tell you, a few of our own people, one lie, you're a mistake. Repeated, told, lie to this, this brother in our family. You're a mistake. You're a mistake. You're a mistake. You're a mistake. And I know this brother well, and I can think about the fruit of that. Can you imagine that with me? If that was your experience, and if you begin to believe that, what would your relationships be like? And I say, what does God say? Because John 8, Jesus tells us the enemy, the devil in particular, is the father of lies, a liar from the beginning. Timothy tells us that God the Father, there's no deceit in him. No deceit in him. So again, this comes back to that first question, what do you believe about the Bible? Because I'm, I'm making this argument from the Bible, and if you're like, I don't really believe it, it's not true, it's not good. I don't know where you stand then. And I don't know actually how you stand, honestly. And so what, I, what did this brother see in the scriptures to your mistake he he read and heard God tell him that I was made in the image of God in Psalm 139 before I was conceived God knew me and what if you believe that what might be the beautiful fruit in worship towards your Lord in relationships to others around you if you believe that truth so fight it that's how we fight that's how we fight second one God doesn't love me like a child should be loved by a parent because he doesn't protect me from harm. Sounds kind of true, right? And isn't that where the enemy dabbles in those half-truths? It's like, hey, you're being harmed. Oh, and what does that prove? What does that prove? And what does that sister respond with? <laughs> Romans eight fifteen through 39. Enough said. <laughs> also Psalm 91. Also Psalm 121. A third one. I've heard. You're dirty. You're used goods. You're not worth anyone's time. Do you hear me now? This is real warfare. The enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy us. That, that bomb, if believed, wrecks entire families and friendship networks, churches. What's the truth? This woman says, Jesus has washed me clean by his blood and cherishes me. <laughs> That's the truth. So listening Listening to the lies of the enemy, unfiltered, unchecked, not fighting, is like telling a kamikaze pilot where Pearl Harbor is. Like it, it, you're inviting destruction. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're just going to listen and take it in, hear it, okay with it, believe it, adopt it, begin to tell it to yourself, 
begin to tell it to other people, that's only the path of destruction. It only circles out and gets wider and wider as it goes, as it's, as it's believed, as it's enacted. It's like listening to the words of a demon whisper into your ear lies repeatedly is like eating out eating days-old garbage out of the trash bin while you have a medium-rare steak on your plate. And you see it, and you're aware of it, and you could choose it, and you could have a glimpse of heaven, right? But you're here. You, you grab the bin, and you pull it over to yourself, and you'd rather just chew on this. And it gets worse because then we repeat those lies to others. And we repeat the schemes of the enemy to our friends. And that makes as much sense as Israel being freed from slavery and then taking slaves themselves. What? So we fight these lies with the truth of who Jesus is and who Jesus has made us. And then we, we speak the truth, not joining in with the enemy in deception and lies and accusations and gossip and slander and libel and manipulation. The deception twists what was the truth into a weapon for harm and destruction. So that's why this, this also can't just be objectively putting this on. It also has to be subjectively living this out and speaking truthfully and not going to hypocrisy and deceit and a life, a pattern of lying and manipulation. So deception, what? That's cheating at school. That's half-truths on a resume. That's falsifying reports at work. That's double-billing clients. That's reporters going with an agenda rather than facts. That's with politicians always tilting the thing to look good on their sin. All the things they've ever said and they've always done, it has a positive spin, and anything their opponent has done or said ever has a negative spin. That's deception. Slander. That's malicious and often false information to inflict harm. Libel, that's it in written form. Manipulation, that's controlling or influencing a person or situation unfairly or dishonestly. What I'm saying is those are the schemes of the enemy. And by putting on the belt of truth and then living out that truth means we don't repeat those schemes. That that's not how, that's how we've been treated, right? But that's not how we've been treated by Jesus. And that's where we're going after It means we also don't condemn. The, the Spirit convicts us of specific sin to lead us to joy in Jesus. The enemy counterfeits by a vague sense of condemnation and general accusations to lead to despairing in yourself. I just told you what the fruit was, right? I played it out for you. You can be convicted by the spirit and trust him and believe him and let that lead you to repentance then joy in Jesus or you can condemn others or be condemned and stay in that and what does that produce despairing in yourself gossip 
That's telling news that is not ours to tell. It's talking about people rather than talking to people. Gossip's involving people that aren't a part of the solution or a part of the problem. And it's, there's no, I know I think Christian rock can be an oxymoron, but there's also no Christian gossip, right? You can't Christianize this and say prayer request and then gossip about other one, right? You can't pass that off. And it's easy for us because we have to talk about things and wrestle with things and, and we're actually intimately involved in one another's life. But we need to think about, am I actually including this person because I want them to help and they're going to be a part of it? Or am I including them because I want to be a part of something that's maybe juicy and I got dibs, on, I got the first hear of it, I get to pass it along. Or I just get this sense of, hey, we both get to see this negative thing about this other person and we feel a little bit better about ourselves. It's got to die. He's saying, no, we got to practice true speaking and honesty and love and action and word that actually is caring. Not to destroy, to harm, to wreck, to steal, kill, destroy. So those are some of the ways that we practice. And I'll just get to it. Why do we? One author says there's six reasons we lie. He says this. We lie to avoid negative consequences. We lie to create or protect an illusion of who we are. We lie to get what we want. We lie to remain in control of a situation. We lie to punish others. We lie about someone else to be accepted by others who despise them. more precisely is that we lie because we want to be God. And that's the first lie our first parents believed from the enemy. That you will be God. You can set up your own standard of morality. You get to decide what is truth. What is right, wrong. What is our standard of it? That's what we want to do. Am I right? That's where we're at. I mean, that's what we do. We want to define truth. We want to control our lives and their outcomes. We want to look good. We want to judge and sentence others. But where the enemy attacks and has attacked throughout human history, the, messiah, the messianic warrior counterattacks by coming as the truth, by telling the truth, by dying to rescue us from the father of lies, dying to pay the penalty for all our lies, manipulation, deceit, gossip, slander. And so what's, what's here is that you've got an option. We lie because we want to be God, or you can say we speak the truth because we worship God. That's what laid out before us. What's laid out before us is this life confusing, condemning, driven by the father of lies, or fighting that with the father's voice and his love and his protection. And as verse 10 told us, his vast strength. That's just the belt. Now the breastplate. 
the the can you give me some water? The breastplate of righteousness. That in the original language is thoraco, which we get thorax. It's just the idea of, of thank you, sir. It's the idea of covering from your neck down to your thighs. Now again, because we already did the prep work on the belt of truth, I just want you to know there's an objective and subjective aspect of this as well. There's objective righteousness, meaning our righteousness, our standing, our position before the Father is Christ's righteousness imputed to us, that we stand before him, washed clean, white, approved of, gladly received, given all the rights as first sons. That's how we're seen before the Father. So we're supposed to put that on. It's again, back to Ephesians 4, we're supposed to put on this new identity that this is who we are in Christ, that Christ is our righteousness. So we wear that. But then, subjectively, we live this out and we grow in holiness. We grow in righteous living. We grow in living like Jesus, who was (laughs) joyful and free, warm and loving, kind and strong, like that righteous living that, that is fueled and just freed by this relationship with the Father. That's what he's talking about. I, I don't want you to, I never, I'm always trying to fight against this idea that we have, and, and maybe we still have, uh, of just dutiful, begrudging, righteous living as don't do these three terrible things and really don't have any fun. That's righteous. Like What? not it righteous living is is getting enveloped into the warm loving joyful community of father son and spirit so it's got to be free and loving and kind and pulling in and welcoming that's what it is but one of the schemes of the devil the slander is to call this into question is to say things like, did God really say you're righteous? Is Christ righteous really enough? But what about you? Don't, don't, don't you feel like you still kind of need to prove yourself? You still need something you need to stand on so you feel confident and, and just whispering, whispering, whispering questions and lies. But the truth is who we are in Christ. Put it on and fight. And then live it out to grow more holy, more like Jesus. One author, I can't say his last name. Ben will put it up there. He says this. Victory begins with the name of Jesus on our lips. It is consummated by the nature of Jesus in our hearts. That's what he's talking about. That you're righteous because Jesus in your lips. You confess him as Lord. So you've been declared righteous by by the Father. But then, what? It's worked out into your life. It's worked out into your heart. It's worked out all into your actions and your relations so that you're living righteous with with one another. But again, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the enemy tempts us. 
tempts us to put our hope in false confidences of righteousness, false sources of righteousness. We're tempted to add to Christ's work by the enemy. We're tempted with those questions. We're tempted to put our confidence in our performance or our presidential candidate or our ethnicity or our discipline or our knowledge. We're tempted by the enemy towards arrogance and pride and self-righteousness repeatedly like a barrage. And even overt external acts like circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism, they, they can give us a sense of control, a leg to stand on. Like, I'm okay because I've done blank. Or I'm legitimate because I'm doing blank. Often we put our confidence in what we're really good at. So this is, this is a problem for Christians because it's more sneaky, subtle, right? It's not overt, wrong things that you're putting your, your righteousness in or putting your hope in that as your righteousness. It's, it's good things. But when they become the source of our confidence, we turn them into idols, counterfeit gods. And some of us, what do we put our righteousness in? Hard work, our jobs. We're a really good worker. We're better than most of the other co-workers around us. Ah, oh, that's my confidence. That's the leg I can stand on. Good thing, theology. I said it earlier. Theo theological ignorance, the enemy eats up loves but then on this other side it's it's the thing he tempts us that if you're really good at it or if you really like it he says yeah put your righteousness in that put your hope in that that you really have have all your things lined out and you understand every nook and cranny and then you miss grace aka you miss jesus that's the sadness about all of these it could be tolerance I'm open-minded, I'm charitable towards those who don't agree with me. In fact, I'm a lot like Jesus that way. It can be anything. In our church, it can be how we do groups. It can be our, our attitude towards missions. It can be anything that we say, hey, this is what we're standing on. This is what we're putting our confidence in. But rather, he's saying, no, no, no. Is that what you really want to wear in battle? Do you hear me? Is that that you're really a good worker? That's what you want to put on your chest and walk into battle against the one who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy you? That, that's, I, that, that, rather, this should be thinking of David, right? When he put on Saul's armor, was like, this ain't right, man. This just ain't right. Like, I can't fight like this. That's what it should feel like to us, to put on this false source of righteousness, like this, I am going to get my teeth kicked in just because I think I know a lot. I have this I'm real intellectual. Look at me. I know things. I read stuff. Yeah, that, and the enemy's like, yeah, we know all this stuff as well. That's the, that's the surprising thing of Jesus' words when he says, yeah, the demons also agree with this. They understand. Their problem is no intellectual thing. Their problem is worship. One thing that I want you to catch your attention 
as this, is that Paul didn't live in fear of the demonic. The apostles didn't. The early churches didn't. The early church fathers didn't. Why? Because they embraced the promise, the truth, that, that God is greater than the one who's in the world. God in you is greater than he who is in the world. And when you believe that, uh, I think it's Clint Arnold that says, then you realize that this isn't a horizontal tug of war, spiritual warfare in it. It is a vertical chain of command. Jesus is the commander. I'm connected to him. He's the undefeated reigning champion of the cosmos. I'm his. And so even the cosmic powers of this present darkness are under my feet. <laughs> under my feet. Why? Because the, the divine warriors already conquered. He's already won. And we're just getting to live out this victory, fighting these battles throughout our life. Why? Because he's wanting to use this, even this, even some dark stuff. Why? To sanctify you. To work in you. To, to push more of the truth into your heart, to make you more righteous and loving and free and joyful and warm and loving and kind and strong. That's what he's doing in us. Now, spiritual warfare can be creepy and heavy as the enemy tries to deceive and accuse and tempt. But Jesus, the truth is Jesus is our Christus victor. He triumphed over Satan, all his demons, through his life, death, and resurrection. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Colossians said he canceled the power of sin at the cross. Satan has been put to shame. He's already condemned. And if you're a Christian, then you're in the kingdom of light. And Jesus has given you authority in this kingdom. The one who's the head of all power and authority. So why should you not believe, <laughs> uh, why should you not live in the fear of the demonic? Because of that. Because the vertical chain of command that the conquering king has won our battle and we're connected to him and that changes everything. Dr. Gary Brashears puts it this way, Satan has absolutely no legitimate authority over the believer. We are free from Satan's claim upon us. Believe in God, disbelieve Satan. That's his last implore to say, turn from the lies. If you've heard something different, turn from it. That's a lie from the enemy. That means Satan or one of his minions is telling you that he has authority over you, that he has a claim over you. But the truth from Jesus is you've been set free. That you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. You are legally <laughs> a son and daughter of the Father. So legally, no claim on you. Nothing holding you. So we stand in the authority of Christ and we use the, the weapons, the armor to fight the enemy. What are those weapons again? We confess and repent of our sin. 
We believe God forgives and washes us clean. We renounce the lies the, the enemy is feeding us, and we believe the counter-truth from Scripture. And we get to <laughs> bask in the fruit of that. And we get to turn from, no, that's not going to be my confidence. My job, my, my intelligence, my tolerance, <laughs> uh, my education, my flexibility, my scheduling, that's not going to where I put my hope in. It's going to be in Jesus. And I'm going to wear him like armor. I'm going to wear his righteousness, and I'm going to allow him to continue to work me into his character, to his life, and to his image. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you would by your spirit, expose lies to put lies and deceit to shame to see how ridiculous and gross and grotesque these lies are and to fight them, to turn from them, to not believe them to not hold on to them, to not make them our identity, and then by your grace not repeat them to others. And same thing with our righteous Lord. We, our hope in life and death is that you've won the victory. You died in our place. You rose from the grave and all of your perfection, all of your perfect, worshiping, obedient life to the Father is a credit to us. So I pray we to fight. Stand. 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 By your power. In Christ's name. Amen.